pretty regular rhythm and tradition for our family that at least once during the winter, we take our kids up north to enjoy the snow for a few days. And so it's been a lot of fun to take our kids up, play in the snow, and go sledding. And so a couple years ago, we were getting ready to go up to Flagstaff, and, and my middle son Carter came out to me. He goes, all right, Dad, I'm all packed. I was like, really? Because we had suitcases out and stuff, and he came out with a little backpack on. And, uh, and he has a little backpack around his shoulders, like, ready to go. And I'm like, really? Okay. Um, that's awesome. I love the initiative. Can I, can I see what you put in your bag, buddy? He goes, Sure. And he hands me the bag, and I open it up, and inside we got a stuffed animal. We got some, a uh, couple action figures. We have a block, a building block. Why one, not two, not ten, I don't know, but we have one. We had a video game controller, not the system, but the controller's in there. Um, I think we had, like, a granola bar and, uh, and a piece of string, and so it was in. And so this was what was needed for the adventure at hand, and he seemed ready to go. And I said, so you don't... You don't need anything else, buddy, for the trip? He goes, nope, I'm ready to go. And so I figured experience as a teacher, and so I said, all right, well, I trust him. And so we went up, and he didn't have any clothes and boots, and he was cold for the week. But, you know, he learned a valuable lesson, right? I didn't do that, okay? Some of you are looking at me like I did that. But um, so, you know, while I love the initiative in that moment, he really had no idea what he needed for the journey at hand. And sometimes I think we as Christians, or just as humans for that matter, uh, we approach relationships and preparing for relationships like my son packed for that trip. We think we know what we need. And, and I feel like God sometimes is like, you have no idea what's ahead, do you? <laughs> you have no idea how to be ready for that relationship that you're walking into. You think that by looking out into the world, by, by seeing something on social media or reading a magazine article or, or just hearing from a friend that you know what to expect. And the reality is we don't. But thankfully, God does. And he actually gives us the key to healthy relationships. And so that's why this morning we want to share a message with you called The Key to a Healthy Marriage. Now, no matter what stage you find yourself in life, whether you're in a married relationship, dating relationship, maybe just wanting a relationship, or not in one, or maybe you have a family or friend who's in one, the reality is this, that no one ever wakes up and goes, you know what, I wish my relationships were worse. You know, I just wish I could have some, have some more resentment in my life. You know, I want a little bitterness with my coffee in the morning, and uh, I just want to be a little bit more angry, you know? It's just things are too good. Like, no one's ever said that, ever. Right? Because no matter how long you've been in a relationship or longing or even friendships or in community, like we all could stand to get a little better. And if we're being honest, we all have no idea what we're doing <laughs> from time to time. And so it's cool to, to know that the word of God speaks practically into our lives. And I believe what we're going to walk through today actually gives us the key to healthy relationships. But I want to preface it because the passage we're going to read today is a little bit controversial. It was controversial back then, and it's actually controversial now, but it was controversial for very different reasons, which we'll get to that in just a moment. And so because this is a little bit of a tricky passage, a little bit of a sticky passage for our culture today, I want to take a few moments and give it a little bit of context. So first, let's chat about the biblical audience of this day. 
So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. It's a city that's a trade city. It's educated. They uh, believe in different gods. There's a temple there. There's a lot of uh, crazy stuff going on, and, and this church forms. And Paul is writing from prison. He's writing out to this church that he helped start 10 years prior. And so he's addressing some issues, and this letter is going to be circulated to different small house groups um, there in the city. And what's interesting is that present in this group is really a melting pot or mixture for all of society. And so he, he starts the letter talking about how our identity shapes our activity. And he calls people saints and adopted and redeemed and forgiven and made alive. And he talks about the power of the gospel and that we are his workmanship created for good works and how we can know a love beyond knowing and that the, the height and the depth and the width and the breath of the love of God and a God who can do immeasurably more than anything we can ask, think, or imagine. And then in chapter 4, he moves into this idea that, Therefore, in light of everything we've seen, walk in a manner worthy of a calling to which you've been called. And so he's going to start to get more practical and more practical and say, Okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. Or maybe they didn't have you know wheels and stuff. So here's where the boat hits the water or the hoof hits the ground. I don't know. The chariots hit the fire. And so um, they go and it says, here's where it really plays out. And there's no numbers or headings in the original letter. And so we have to think about the fact that it is a constant letter that he's writing to a group of people. And as he's addressing different groups of people, they're present most likely in the room. So husbands and wives, parents and children, even masters and slaves. And the church is the one place where all these people are together. And he's addressing them with equal value. And it's pretty incredible that he does that. And so he's writing in this context, and we pick it up here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one as our gift to you on the way out. But in the meantime, we have the verses here on the screen. And so we're, we pick this up, and it says here, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, Look carefully, then, how you walk. He's about to say, is, hey, be careful. There are landmines everywhere in your relationships. It's like walking into a room where your kids just played with Legos, right? Like, be careful. One wrong move, and that little piece can take your life, right? It hurts. Why does it hurt so bad? Okay. Um, and so he's saying, be careful how you walk. This is the main phrase here. Why do we need to be careful? Can you tell us? Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord is. And then do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So he is describing a life of a follower of Jesus. And now he's going to give specifics. So, okay, what does it actually mean to be filled with the Spirit? And he gives us four things here. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is the idea of speaking truth to one another. Then he says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your, with your heart. We just did that collectively as a group, right? So you're speaking scripture to one another. You're singing with one another. This is a, a passage on worship, Okay. It says, giving thanks, there's number three, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then number four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
So we have this picture of submission to one another. And we're doing this in light of the gospel. So your vertical relationship with God is directly connected to your horizontal relationship with man. It's similar to like breathing in, breathing out. You can't do both, or you can't do both. You need both. I'm saying like you can't just do one or the other. You can't just breathe out only. You can't just breathe in only. It is, it is directly connected. In the same way, your vertical relationship with God is directly connected and reflected through your relationships with others. And so it's, so he's writing here that if you want to have a spirit-filled life, it starts by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here is the setup in our biblical context, and our biblical audience. But second, let's chat about our audience today. Here's the reality. Is that we live in a world with a lot of movements going on. And some, I think, are, are, are going well, coming, being motivated from this idea of liberation and value and equal worth and treatment of people equally. But then others are saying truth is relative and, and context doesn't matter, and so now just make a cause and you better, you know, you believe whatever you want to believe. And, and we make these claims under the, under the context of love, but it's not very loving, really. And there's no foundation. And so what I want to share with you today, it is, it is an interesting passage. And I want to actually give you permission to disagree with me. You're welcome to. But I want to offer a caveat that I want you to go further. And that is, if you disagree, or even if you agree, and you question things, I want you to ask yourself, what is my foundation for my worldview? Because everybody has a base or a foundation or a platform on which they're standing. And for me, it comes down to that I choose to stand on the word of God. And if and I can't go through the word of God and say, well, I don't believe that. Why? Because I don't like it. That doesn't work that way. Right? If I read scripture that's been wholly inspired, but then also wholly illuminates our spirit and minds. Like if I read scripture and I don't like something, who's most likely in the wrong? Me or God? Me. If, if you created the universe and you're sustaining our entire existence, you predicted your own death, and then you rise again, defeating death itself, providing the way of eternal salvation for everyone who call upon your name, I'm gonna use that as a foundation versus, eh, I don't like that. Or, well, I read an article somewhere where someone said something. Like, it doesn't work that way. If, if kids didn't obey parents, Simply because they didn't like something, how would that turn out at the end? Not very good. And so I, wanna, I do want to give you permission to push back, question everything. But when you push back, ask yourself, what is the foundation of it? Is it just feelings? Is it emotion? Is it a personal experience? Because those are valid, but they're not ultimately truth. And so if you base 
your, your opinion, not just on how you feel, but what is true. And if, you, and if you go past maybe the initial pushback, I think you'll find the key to what God has for us. And then the second thing I want to say when we jump into this passage today is that we tend to read the Bible for other people. Have you ever done that? You read a passage and you go, oh, I really wish they heard that. Right? It's the elbow nudge when you hear a point. You hear that? I was reading scripture today and God showed you this. Not showed me this, but showed you this, right? And, we, and so here's, here's the challenge, though. The challenge is when you read scripture, can you read it in light of what has God called you to do? Because Paul is going to address wives. He's going to address husbands. It's interesting to note that husbands get three times the many, as many verses as wives. So I don't know if that's telling our, on our ability to pay attention. But he just says, wives, here you go. All right, you got it? Cool. Guys, here it is. Nope. Here it is again. Nope. Okay. Are you listening? Are you even listening to me? Here it is one more time. So we get three times as many verses. But may we read this in light of what God has challenged us to do within our responsibilities. And so before we even jump into the word, I want to just kind of give you my main thought here to understand where I'm coming from. And it's this. Healthy marriages and healthy relationships for that matter make submission their first mission. Healthy marriages and healthy relationships make submission their first mission. It's submission to God and then submission to one another. It's both and. There's no I in team, but there's actually two I's in submission. And that's important because both people have to choose. Both people have to choose. And submission is not saying you're of lesser value. Submission is not just saying, you know, inferiority or things of that nature. But rather, it actually starts with recognizing collectively that we are humbling ourselves before God. And we're being Jesus to the other person. Because healthy relationships and healthy marriages make submission their first mission. All right, let's jump into it. Here we go. That's a lot of setup for the passage, but you're about to see why we did that. All right, we're going to jump into it, picking it up in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husband, as the Lord. That's all I got. All right, see you guys. It's been good. It's been fun. You can see where that could be a little bit of a trigger for people, can't you? Wives, submit to your own husbands. It doesn't say submit to, to every male. It says to your own, like it's a personalized context. But even reading it, especially in our culture today, we're like, eh, I don't like that. What's weird, though, is in the biblical context, this wasn't the controversial part. This was the predominant culture of the day. The fact that he was even addressing wives in this context was interesting. And the fact that he was actually then challenging the husbands next was even more interesting. And we see Christianity actually recognizing and identifying the strength and the value of women right from the very beginning. We're going to see in a few moments. He's going to go all the way back to creation. And so he, he continues on here. He says, this is, this is about your attitude and, and, and serving 
And it's verse 23, for the husband, well, I'm gonna pause for a second. What gets mistranslated sometimes or misunderstood about this verse, in verse really uh, 22, is that in the original manuscripts, the word submit is actually not even found in that particular verse because the verb is used from the previous verse. And so in some of the early manuscripts, it reads, submitting to one another in reverence for Christ, comma, wives to husbands. So as an example of submitting to one another, we see this. And so we've taken one verse and we go, ha, submit. And people go an extreme one way and, and go on a power trip and they say, do this, do this, I say so. And if you're in a healthy relationship, it, that doesn't work. I, look, I married up, I married a very strong, intelligent woman. And I understand from the beginning that what's mine is hers and what's hers is hers. And, uh, and you know, when I, wanna, when I wanna share my opinion, I ask my wife what it is. And then I uh, go back, no, I, I'm kidding. But no, I, I've married up. I tell people that God blessed me and blinded her and it's awesome and I'll take it. And I mean, she just finished up grad school and I was trying to, I, I couldn't even help her study. Like I couldn't even read the, pronounce the words in the questions to even ask her to help her study. And she would start telling me, oh, look what I learned today. And she'd go, and all these words had like 18 syllables in them. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying right now, but you are so attractive right now. <laughs> and, uh, and we go through, and you know, this verse gets taken in so many contexts. So, so some people take it and go, oh, listen up, get in line. And then people take it because they have a bad experience and go to the other side and be like, no, girl power, what are you talking about? Like, and then they get extreme and like, all guys are stupid. We are, but give us a chance. And so, um, and so like, you know, we have, and there's an extreme other way. But neither of which extremes actually stop to say, okay, what reflects Jesus? Because when you connect the verses together, you see that the ultimate picture of submission is actually Jesus. Jesus submitting his will in the garden right before he was crucified. He's praying. What does he pray to his heavenly father? He says, not my will, but yours be done. And then the church, under authority of Christ himself, there is a humble posture and so now we continue reading, and it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. There's a picture of it. It's not saying the same. It's a picture of it. Because there is no way husbands can fulfill the exact role of Jesus, because we mess up all the time. It says, Is the head of the church his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And there is a respect and a deference that comes from humble submission. But what happens is a lot of times guys read that passage and go, ha! He's not talking to guys. He's talking to the ladies in the church who are saying, look, they're there in a the church. And they say, hey, what do we do? And it says it starts with humility and service and sacrifice. And then he turns to guys in the room and, and, as they read the letter. And this is the controversial part of that day. 
And he turns to them and he starts to speak to them. And he says, now, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. He's saying, guys, in the relationships, are you being Jesus to the other? See, Jesus did not use power to lord it over someone, but instead chose to humbly serve and sacrifice himself. That means that, guys, we need to go first. We need to lead the way in generosity and sacrifice and serving. And that this picture is hand in hand together. This is a picture of what marriage can be and should be. Not always a picture of of what it is in reality. And so usually I find when I'm talking with people who have pushback to this, they understand that they're only seeing one side of the equation. And that, ladies, the call to being submissive to your husband works when the role of the husband is to lay down his life and every need and every decision to lift up the needs and experience of their spouse. And so he's saying, hey, guys, think about how Jesus gave up his life for the church. Are you willing to do that? And he knows that some people might not resonate with that. So then he takes it a step even further and more personal. And it says in verse 20, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He's speaking in a day and age where women were treated like property. And Paul's actually writing. He says, no, they're just as good as you. They're of equal value. And even if you like mess up and you're like, you're, you're like I'm not going to be Jesus, okay, but how, how would you treat yourself? What kind of grace would you give to yourself? What kind of respect would you give to yourself? It says, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. And for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourish and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And so you see this concept of being filled with the Spirit come into play, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submitting and deferring to husbands, but husbands also sacrificing and serving your wives. And it's out of this mutual submission to one another that you see the gospel glorified. And now he's about to paint a picture to elevate the view of marriage. You see, our culture that we live in views marriage as a series of just a, of transactions. And you walk into a situation and you have a series of expectations. All right, if I walk into this relationship, I have this box, I, I want you to do this, 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 and this. And Pastor Aiden Stanley put it this way, he was like, it's like you have your whole box, and when you get married, you go, here. The issue is, the other person has a, another box, and they go, here. But rather than exchanging boxes of expectations, you dump those into the same box, along with all your baggage, all previous relationship, hurt, 
expectations, betrayal, issues, struggles, and things that you went through as a child, things that you went through as an adult, trust issues, doubt, addictions, struggles, everything. And so everything gets mixed in together and people sit back and go, okay, you better come through. And Paul comes in, he says, no, it's not about you, it's about Jesus. And he elevates it and he continues on in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his wife, uh, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. The mystery of women is very profound. No, okay, sorry, that's what I thought when I first read it. I was like, ah, that makes sense. It's a mystery. I had no chance from the beginning. Um, no, he's not talking about that. He actually goes further. He says, this mystery, this mystery of marriage, this mystery of the gospel actually is referring to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, what he did there is he took this social contract, this legal connection that our culture makes it like, oh, yeah, just sign up. Get the warranty. If it doesn't work, great, get a new car. Okay, like that's how we treat it. And he, he actually elevates marriage. He says, no, this is so much higher than that. That when relationships are at their best, they reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the world sees a healthy relationship, they should see Jesus. And so it's, it's, it's beautiful, it's incredible. And it happens when we take that step that healthy relationships and marriages make submission their first mission. Now, many of us watching or listening to this right now have experienced some level of brokenness to the process. And so I'm, I'm not here to really break down or make anyone feel bad about anything in the past because I think you've probably walked through enough, right? If you've experienced betrayal, if you've experienced question marks, if you've done something and now you've experienced shame, whatever that level is, we carry that into the current relationship. And so we have all kinds of questions. And so what I wanna do is when you get to that point in your present state, in your present relationship and where you find yourself now, I want you to ask yourself three questions. Okay, we'll call this relationship inventory questions. I want you to ask yourself and self-reflect where you are currently. Can you answer these questions honestly? First question to ask yourself is that, is, is your relationship spirit-filled and spirit-led? For a lot of people in our culture, really disconnected things, they take a, a verse Submit. And they go one of two ways, and they disconnect it from the fact that it's actually an expression of what it means to live a spirit-filled life. On your best day, relationships are hard. On your best day, relationships are messy. Because we're messy. But 
you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, if you are laying everything at the feet of Jesus, if you're laying your, your marriage at the feet of Jesus and you're, you're praying to God for the Holy Spirit to fill you, to breathe out and, and to be the Holy Spirit, to be the, the Jesus figure in the relationship, to, to be that example, then it's possible. You're talking to the guy who's writing the letter who is the least likely person to be an apostle. In fact, just two chapters earlier, he said, I am the worst. I'm writing what could be as being the worst. And if there's hope for me, I promise you there is hope for you. <laughs> Are you being spirit-filled and spirit-led? Second question is this. Do you focus more on your expectations or the other's experience? You know, we talked about that, that we enter relationships and we have a list and, and we don't, maybe we don't verbalize the list, but we all have one. And we sit back and go, oh, okay, see if they do that. But take a situation, any situation. If your first thought is, why didn't he, why couldn't she, if only they did this. They always do that. You see where the focus is outward? I've shared this before, but the definition of frustration is the gap between expectation and experience. And when you put your focus on your expectations, the other person might not even know what those expectations are. And if they do, we are a hot mess as a human race, and so we're probably going to break them. And so you get two people focusing on their own personalized expectations, how the other person is breaking. You can see where relationships break down. But if your first thought is, how can I elevate their experience? How can I meet their needs? Connect emotionally with them. Serve them. You know, healthy relationships really are a race to the back of the line. Because isn't that what we want? Don't we want someone to know us fully and love us as we are? To, to wake up in the morning and someone's thinking about you? Right? So is your focus on your expectation or the other person's experience? Because if you start the other way, it changes how you think and it changes what you do. And lastly, the question I want you to ask yourself does your relationship reflect the gospel in your daily reality? Could someone look at your relationship and go, yep, there's Jesus? Or will they look and go, yep, that's just like every other relationship I've seen? If someone knew nothing about God, but they knew you as a couple, would they ask questions about Jesus? Here's the thing too, you don't even have to be dating or married for this. If someone looked at your life and how you treated people, would they see another set of missed expectations? Or would they say, man, something's different. This is why your marriage, your relationship, is your greatest opportunity to show the light of Jesus because this is not what our culture teaches today. Get what you want, when you want, however you can. If it doesn't work, move on. 
Paul comes in and says, no, be Jesus. Submit to one another. And if you do that in reverence for him, ladies, if you, if you defer to your husband and trust in the leadership of that, husbands, if you make it your goal to sacrifice and meet the needs of your wife and you see this mutual submission and sacrifice to one another for the glory of God, that spirit-filled, spirit-led, this is when lives are changed, marriages are made, and the world sees the gospel. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and God, I just wanna pray for the marriages right now in our church. Good chance people came in this morning fighting or will go home and fight this afternoon. It's just what happens because we do that as people. And God, I don't stand here perfect. I don't stand here trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. But God, in 15 years of marriage, all the ups and downs, what I know to be true is that when I've read your word and tried to do what it said, when I tried to attach my spirit, my mindset to your heart and your mind, God. When I try to get my vertical relationship with you and an understanding of your grace, it made it a whole lot easier for me to walk in grace and to live that out on a practical basis. So God, I pray for the relationships in this room right now. Whatever stage they're in, whatever they're walking through, I pray that they would submit to you first that they would be spirit-filled, and God, they would make submission their first mission so that we can love and serve one another and give the world a picture of what the gospel really looks like in practical terms. I pray for forgiveness where needed. God, I pray for hard conversations where needed. I pray for joy and love and purpose and service that comes where it's needed, God. And as you gave us a picture of what it means to love one another, as you told us to love one another as you have loved us, may you be our picture and our goal and our method. At the end of the day, may we be Jesus to one another as a church. We love you, God. Thank you for your grace. In your sons, then we pray. Amen.